Welcome, Watchmen. I am the Paladin Preacher with Peleus Men's Ministry. Let's jump into tonight's topic. Are you ready? Let's begin. So this will be part two of the multi-part series I put together on the topic of health. And we began uh, our previous podcast, episode four, talking about what does Scripture say about diet and health? And that when I was asking these questions, I, I really didn't have a clue as to any specifics. And so this broadcast began as an accumulation of notes and annotations of Bible verses that I had put together while listening to the Bible uh, throughout the course of a year and 10 months. And I was listening specifically for verses regarding health, diet, eating meat, eating vegetables, types of food, and nutrition. And when I finally finished my read-through, I went back through my notes, and something began to percolate from the information that I was gathering. And I, I can't say exactly how or why this was put on my heart to write this broadcast, but somehow I felt commissioned by the Holy Spirit. In, in the same way that I felt that a seed was planted in my heart to share, I hope that this small seed could be a continual presence which grows to glorify God's kingdom and ultimately makes a larger impact on the body of Christ as a whole, if that be God's will. So before I get started, let's go ahead and open in prayer and we'll get into today's topic. Father God, we, we give this this broadcast to you. We're so grateful for all the ways that you are working in our life. And tonight, as we talk about a controversial topic within church culture, we ask that we would hear your words, Lord, and not our own. We would hear your voice, and that if we would hear your voice, Lord, we would be able to act upon that. Give us the opening and the ears and the heart to hear what you have to say, Lord and allow us to continually be transforming our lives to be more like Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, in our previous, in our previous part, uh, I had concluded by saying that I had believed that it's, it's highly probable that eating meat was by choice because sin entered the world. And ultimately, God providing all the food we needed in the Garden of Eden, left no room or reason to have meat in the diet. Simply based on the fact that if Adam and Eve had not eaten from the tree of life, if sin had not entered the world, death would not have entered the world. Thus, if death does not exist, eating animals does not exist. So, tonight we're going to be going into more detail about consumption and dependence on meat as it's referenced in the Bible, and how it's often made in reference to either death or destruction or disconnection from God. So, I'm going to start off by reading... Uh, a few excerpts here from Ezekiel chapter 11 and then chapter 24. So the first verse, verses I want to read are Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 6 through 7. And it says, You have killed many people in this city and filled its streets with the dead. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. The bodies you have thrown there are the meat, and this city is the pot but I will drive you out of it. Ezekiel 11, 6-7 Ezekiel 24, verses 3-14 through 14. Tell this rebellious people a parable and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Put on the cooking pot. Put it on and pour water into it. Put into it the pieces of meat, all the choice meats, the leg, and the shoulder. Fill it with the best of these bones, 
Take the pick of the flock. Pile wood beneath it for the bones. Bring it to a boil and cook the bones in it. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Cook the meat well, mixing in the spices, and let the bones be charred. Then set the empty pot on the coals till it becomes hot and its copper glows, so that its impurities may be melted and its deposit burned away. It has frustrated all efforts. Its heavy deposit has not been removed, not even by fire. Now your impurity is lewdness. Because I tried to cleanse you, but you would not be cleansed from your impurity, you will not be clean again until my wrath against you has subsided. I, the Lord, have spoken. The time has come for me to act. I will not hold back. I will not have pity, nor will I relent. You will be judged according to your conduct and your actions, declares the Sovereign Lord. Ezekiel 24, verses 3 through 14. And then I also wanted to take another excerpt from Amos, or Amos, chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. And it states, You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and longing will end. Amos chapter 6 verses 4 through 7. If we take a look at this from a different perspective, what we still see doesn't say in Scripture For God's people or followers referred to as the glistening meat that I crave or a cluster of new eggs to eat. However, in Micah chapter 7, listen to what is being said about Israel's misery. What misery is mine, I am like the one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The faithful had been swept away from the land. Not one upright person remains. So the upright people of Israel are referred to as gleaning clusters of fresh grapes or early ripe figs. So why do we consistently see references to fruits, vegetables, and grains in the Bible, but not references to God's chosen people as being meat, eggs, or fish? Was God intentional when he instructed the vernacular of the Bible? Was Jesus intentional about his word usage when using parables to answer questions of the Pharisees? Those are a couple questions I want you to consider as we go over tonight's discussion. And in your own Bible reading and in your own devotionals, I also want you to be on the lookout for the types of terms that the Bible uses to refer to God's chosen people. I think you'll find your findings interesting, just as I had. So I hope something inside of you may begin to wrestle with the idea of diet and health as it relates to biblical scripture. My goal tonight isn't to change your mind completely, but my goal is to help open your eyes to the possible fallacy that there is only one way, and it's the only way, because it's what we've been told to do it. If you think that what I'm asking you to do is extreme, by taking a look at the Bible and deciphering what terminology is used to describe the people, whether it be the fresh grapes or early ripe figs, with no reference to God's holy people as being any type of meat or animal product. I also want you to be conscious of what is God trying to say when he's constantly referring to things that are good and wholesome in a sense that he uses fruits and vegetables and grains as the the primary focus or primary descriptive words, 
But when it comes to referring to the meat and to animal products, more often than not, what I've come to find is that the Bible is using that as a, as a terminology that describes a separation from God, some type of destruction, or some type of detachment from being in the presence of God. Something to consider when you're doing your Bible reading. I, I'd be curious to know what you guys find. If you guys find something that I haven't found, I would love to see it. Uh, I'd be more than happy to, to answer any questions that you may have. So, if you're thinking that what I'm saying might be a little too extreme or, or might be taken out of context, I, I want to take a closer look at a, f- a few more cases that we can fully rely upon uh, our Heavenly Father for our complete needs through the story of John the Baptist. And I think through this story and through some of the stories that will follow this evening, will hopefully give you a little more context and and paint a a more vivid picture of what I'm trying to articulate. And I hope it's coming across. So in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, John the Baptist appears in the wilderness. He was preaching about the baptism and repentance and forgiveness of sins in the wilderness. John was eating whatever God provided him in the wilderness. But it does not say that John the Baptist killed animals for food. Is it probable that John ate plants, insects, and possibly manna, as we had seen God provide manna elsewhere throughout Scripture in in the Old Testament? Especially if John the Baptist was supposedly sent as, quote, to prepare the way for Jesus, end quote. And that's in reference to three separate verses out of Isaiah 40, verse 3, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Matthew chapter 3, verse 3. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to read through those those three verses, Isaiah 40, verse 3, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Matthew 3, verse 3, uh, where it talks about how John the Baptist was sent or would be sent um, to prepare the way for Jesus, and those were prophetic statements that that were 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 said about his his coming and and what his plan was supposed to be, um, in accordance with God's will. So, I've got four Bible verses here that I wanted to read with you, to kind of give you some additional context of what I was trying to say when when. God refers to death as opposed to when God refers to uh, fruits and vegetables and wheat. So the first verse, Exodus chapter 16, verse 31, this is out of the King James Version. It says, And the house of Israel was called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and a taste of what it was like wafers made with honey. The second verse, Numbers chapter 11, verse 7. Now the manna resembled coriander seed, and its appearance was like that of gum resin. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He humbled you, and in your hunger gave you manna to eat, which neither of you nor your fathers had known, so that you might understand that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then Deuteronomy 8.16, He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers had not known, in order to humble you and test you, so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. So these four verses give context to the potentiality that he could have that that God could have provided manna to John the Baptist in the wilderness based on Exodus numbers and Deuteronomy where it's all referring to manna and what manna was what it tasted like and how it could provide nourishment and that it was something that was that was sent by God and that in my mind increases the likelihood that John the Baptist did not live on animals but 
He could have had mana. He most likely ate plants and insects in the wilderness and survived on what God provided for him. So one of the other topics I wanted to discuss this evening was that it's my, it's my view that the old way of Christian health has been leading to sickness and destruction long before we carry out the calling that God has for us. So I have a couple questions. Number one, how do we actually define consumption? And number two, how is the human body limited on what we can consume? So think about those two questions. How do we define consumption, and how is the human body limited on what we can consume as we, as we continue through to the, tonight's discussion? So in Sunday school, we often talk about what we need to do to keep our kids and ourselves from consuming with our eyes and our ears. This is especially taught to uh, young boys because we are often more easily affected by visual stimuli. Now, according to the 2004 study published in the Emory University Health Sciences Center, it says this, quote, The emotion control center of the brain, the amygdala, shows significantly higher levels of activation in males viewing sexual visual stimuli than females viewing the same images, according to the Center of Behavioral Neurosciences, study led by Emory University psychologist Stephen Haman and Kim Wallen. So, clinically, they have determined that, that young boys are more stimulated by what they see. So, we are, we are also taught in Sunday school that what we watch and what we listen to, whether it's music or speech or, or movies or television, those kinds of things affect us and they affect us in either a positive or negative way. And that's clear that we're also taught to keep our ears from consuming songs or songs with language that could affect the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act, or the, the type of vernacular that we use. So the Bible adds an additional layer of consumption in Acts chapter 28, verses 27, where it says, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand within their heart, and turn and I would heal them. End quote. Here the Lord is talking about consuming not only with our eyes and not only with our ears, but also with our heart. Heart consumption. And if we aren't able to consume with our hearts, we can't have understanding about God or have healing from the things that we have, we have worked through and the brokenness that we have come from. So there we've got three different types of consumption. We have what we hear, what we see, and what we feel within our heart and the openness that our heart has. So again, it talks about this in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 4. It says, But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand, or eyes to see, or ears to hear. Looking closely at what consumption means through Scripture, through that we are reminded that consumption is anything that enters the body and has an effect on our body. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are to protect it from all forms of attack, whether that be physical, emotional, auditory, visual, and spiritual. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 19 says, To glorify God in body and spirit. I'll read the verse for you. Chapter 12. This is 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 12, verse 19. 
If you have your Bibles, again, I'd love if you would open your Bibles and read along with me. Um, if you're driving or in your car, you pull up your, your Bible on, your, on the Bible app on your phone and go ahead and read along. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Chapter 19, or verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of, Hol of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? The church fails to recognize food consumption among other types of the other types of consumption that we've we've mentioned that it can be a stronghold in a in our Christian individual or or Christ follower's life unless it is clinically classified as either a, a quote unquote disorder or either a, a disorder or overconsumption. But I'm curious why this is, based on what we've read previously in the in verses that we've, we've uh, previously read through. So here's my take. Satan is a master of strategy, and he's campaigning in a war with siege tactics. He doesn't need to take us out of the game right now. He knows devil win at the dinner table before we could realize what was happening to us, to our children, to our family member, or our friend. It's my strong belief that God is sending his message to us through new research, new health studies, and health data. It seems to me that we're caught in a parable story of a religious person on, on the top of the house during a flood. A very religious man was once caught in a rising floodwater. He climbed onto the roof of his house and trusted God to rescue him. A neighbor came by in the canoe and said, Hey, the waters will soon be above your house. Hop in and we'll paddle to safety. No thanks, replied the religious man. I've prayed to God and I'm sure he will save me. A short time later, the police came by in a boat. Hey, the waters will be soon above your house. Hop in and we'll take you to safety. No thanks, replied the religious man. I've prayed to God and I'm sure he's going to save me. A little time later, a rescue service helicopter was hovering overhead. They let down a rope ladder and said, Hey, the waters are soon going to be above your house. Climb the ladder and we will fly you to safety. No thanks, replied the man. I've prayed to God, and I'm sure he's going to save me. All this time, the floodwaters continued to rise, until soon they reached above the roof, and the religious man drowned. When he arrived at heaven, he demanded an audience with God. He was ushered into God's throne room, and the man said to God, Lord, why am I here in heaven? I prayed for you to save me. I trusted you to save me from that flood water. Yes, you did, my child, replied the Lord. And I sent you a canoe, a boat, and a helicopter, but you never got in. So here's my point. Because all knowledge and wisdom come from the Lord, 
I think we can agree on that. Should we not then adhere to new scientific discoveries in health? If God is the author of the sciences that allow us the opportunity to study these things so that we can make healthier decisions and be healthier individuals as a whole, why are we not following those rules? Why are we not following these new studies? Why is God giving us something as a report that says, here is how things have changed, here is how you can live healthier, and yet we decide, no, I'm not going to follow that. that. That's not in the Bible. That's from the scientific community. I can't follow that. It's hard for me to wrap my head around the mentality of refusing science if we believe truly that God created science and that he is the the author of all knowledge and wisdom. I feel like there's a bit of a disconnection there. I would recommend to you guys a book called How Not to Die, Discover the Foods Scientifically Proven to Prevent and Reverse Disease by Dr. Michael Greger, MD, and Gene Stone. Here's a quick quick, uh, excerpt from the book. Quote, The vast majority of premature deaths can be prevented through simple changes in diet and lifestyle. In How Not to Die... Dr. Greger, who is an internationally recognized lecturer, physician, and he's also the founder of uh, nutritionfacts.org, he examines the 15 top causes of death in America right now. And those are heart disease, various cancers, diabetes, Parkinson's, high blood pressure, excuse me, and he goes on to list more. And he goes into more detail, but he, he explains how nutritional and lifestyle intervention can sometimes trump prescription pills and other pharmaceutical and surgical approaches, which allows us to then live healthier lives. And this translates to what it means to live a healthier lifestyle for Jesus, because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and therefore We are stewards of this body. We do not own these bodies. This is God's property. It is on lease to us, and we have to give it back. But while we are here, we have to maintain it so that it functions at a high efficiency and so that we can carry out God's will. You cannot carry out God's will and the plan that he has for you if you lack the strength and efficiency of a healthy body. So the simple truth is that most doctors are good at treating acute illnesses, but they're bad at preventing chronic disease. The 15 leading causes of death claim the lives of 1.6 million Americans annually. And this doesn't have to be the case. By following Dr. Greger's advice, all of it can be backed up by peer-reviewed scientific evidence. I think you will come to find that the foods we eat And the lifestyle changes we make can have a dramatic effect. If you have a history of prostate cancer in your family, put down the glass of milk and add flaxseed to your diet. If you have high blood pressure, hibiscus tea can work better than any leading hypertensive drug and without any side effects. What about liver disease? Drinking coffee can reduce liver inflammation. Are you battling breast cancer? Consuming soy is associated with prolonged survival. Worried about heart disease, our number one killer? You can switch to a whole food, plant-based diet, which has been repeatedly shown not to just help prevent the disease, but arrest and even reverse it. In addition, he shows that what to eat to help prevent some of the top 15 causes of death in, in the book How Not to Die includes Dr. Greger's Daily Dozen, and it's a, it's a checklist of foods we should try to consume each day. So uh, if you're interested in checking it out, you can check out nutritionfacts.org 
uh, or you can get the book, How Not to Die. I, I think you'd find it uh, pretty reasonable and some pretty pretty strong advice. I, I read through it uh, a couple of years back. Probably good to read through it again. So I had mentioned earlier the the concept of siege warfare, that that Satan is he's running a siege war against us, against the body of Christ. Now, siege warfare was an ancient and medieval military operation which involved surrounding and blockading a town or a castle or a fortress with an army with an attempt to capture it. You would lay siege or besiege a fort or a castle or a town. And the term derives from the Middle English word sed, sege, sege, from the Old French meaning blockade. So, Scripture itself offers a vivid scope of true siege warfare and the atrocious effects that can ripple through the affected people. Now, I'm referring to 2 Kings chapter 6, when Syria besieges Samaria in the famine. Now, it was a great famine that was happening at the time, and Syria and Samaria are at war, and Syria lays siege upon Samaria. So we'll pick up here in 2 Kings, verse 24. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Assyria, gathered all of his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for eighty shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cob, a cab of a dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king! And he said, If the Lord does not help you, where can I help you? If the Lord does not help you, where can I find to help you? For, to help you? Oh, I'm having a trouble, trouble with that one. From the threshing floor or from the wine press. When the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So the, the famine was so bad that you have a donkey's head, which is being sold at an exorbitant rate, and dove droppings. I, I'm, I'm assuming that was used for some type of propellant or, or fire or cooking utensil as a kindling. But then you have cannibalism that is starting to take hold of the city of Samaria after it's being affected by the famine as well as the siege to the point where people were eating each other's children just to survive another day, knowing that if they ate their neighbor or their friend's child today, they would eat and share their children tomorrow. I mean, can you imagine being in a situation where this, where you, you are that hungry that that type of darkness becomes even a thought in your own mind? I don't even think I can imagine it. It's a horrific, it's horrific. That's just what it is. So in chapter 29, it picks up, So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she had hidden her son. So now we see that the idea was proposed to eat the children, but then that individual hid their children so that they would not get eaten. So back to, the, back to Scripture, verse 30. Now it happened, and when the king heard the words of the woman, 
that he tore his clothes, and as he passed by on the wall, the people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. So here in these few lines of scripture, we see murder, we see famine, extreme starvation, desperation, isolation, chaos, items being sold on the black market practically for exorbitant prices, cannibalism, manipulation, deception, murder, death, destruction, deterioration of morality and judgment, survival mentality of the individual over others, a bartering system, etc. The list could go on, but just in these short passages, we can visualize the effects of siege warfare that can have upon people and its pure effectiveness to deteriorate the target over time. When you think of a temple, I'm curious what comes to your mind. I think of the 1000 BCE King David conquers Jerusalem and declares it the city capital of the Jewish kingdom on or around 960. And then David's son, King Solomon, builds the first Jewish temple. And this isn't just a, a fortress. This is a completely, it's a complete and heavily fortified structure to protect the Holy of Holies. There was a layer of the Temple Mount starting at the innermost portion, and it, it moves outward, and it includes the, the Holy of Holies. And then these are, this is starting at the, the most innermost place, the Holy of Holies, and moving outward. So think of it as rings moving out. So you have the Holy of Holies, you have the Holy Place, you have the Court, and you have the Upper and Inner Court. Then there's the Great Court, and then the temple walls. And the temple walls have been elevated. I'm sorry. The, the temple mount has been elevated above the wall. And then you have these massive temple, wall, temple mount walls surrounding the entire structure. So additionally, outside of the tep, temple mount, the walls of the city was surrounded by yet another great wall. So you have, you have the, the Holy of Holies, you have the Temple Mount, which is its own fortress, with its own wall and its own elevated position, and then you have uh, some of the surrounding township or homes or, or, or markets or what have you, and then around that was also a wall. So you have these, this entire structure is one massive fortress. And so that's what I think of when I think of what a temple should be, it should be a heavily fortified, protected, and sustainable living environment that allows for the longevity of, of whatever's living inside it. So the entire Temple Mount was a walled place where the entire population could run to for safety during an attack. The walls of the temple are almost two and a half, 2.4966 miles in length surrounding the Temple Mount. They are on average a height of 39, almost 40 feet tall, and their average thickness are over eight feet thick. That's on average. Just one of the large cut stones at the base of the walls can weigh over 160,000 pounds. This is not just a temple. It is a heavily fortified, well-engineered, and highly sustainable fortress. If Satan's ultimate goal is to destroy us as Christ followers, don't you think He's constantly thinking of new ways to attack us. And when besieging a town or a fortified structure, armies would cut off the town from the surrounding area, stripping them of their natural resources and supplies from the outside world. Satan wants to cut us off from the vital resources that God has put on the planet for us. 
we are constantly under attack by Satan, and he is always trying to find a weak spot in our fortification. It's an all-out attack, if you will, by land, sea, and air, and he's going to stop at nothing to see if he can tear down our walls. So why wouldn't he try and attack our health? Why wouldn't he try to attack our health if we are truly the temple of the Holy Spirit? Our health is what helps sustain the temple of the Holy Spirit. As watchmen of God, we can't be hypocrites, hypocrites who preach, preach faith, walking in Christ, and praying daily. But at the first sign of, an, of a male gathering or a men's retreat, we immediately throw out what we know about protecting our temple fortress. We make the choice each day to fill our bodies with wholesome food, providing the most nutrient and healing qualities. Here's the thing. Satan doesn't need to win today, but he could be winning one meal at a time. According to an article published in October of 2017, quote, America's obesity epidemic reaches record high by Felix Gussum, MD. America's obesity crisis appears more unstoppable than ever. A troubling new report released Friday by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention shows that almost 40% of American adults, nearly 20% of adolescents, are obese. The highest rates ever recorded in the United States. He goes on to say it's difficult to be optimistic at this point, said Dr. Frank Hugh chair of the Department of Nutrition at Harvard School of Public Health. He says the trend of obesity has been steadily increasing in both children and and adults, despite many public efforts to improve nutrition and physical activity. End quote. The continued weight increase in the youngest Americans is especially worrisome for long-term health. One in five adolescents, ages 12 through 19, which is one in five kids, ages 6 to 11, and 1 in 10 preschoolers, ages 2 through 5, are considered to be obese, not just overweight, but obese. If our standard American diet is killing us and our children through heart disease, diabetes, blood clots, clogged arteries, high blood pressure, cancer, sleep disorders, stroke, suffocation of our organs, then who do you think is really winning this battle? Sounds like siege warfare to me. In practical terms, we are supposed to put on the full armor of God. But we can't put on the armor if we're too big to fit in it. If we are in desperate need for a plus size in God's armor, the chances are we're too big to move when we need to. An organization is only as strong or as fast as its slowest, weakest member. If our obesity is affecting our personal health, how much more is Satan affecting our lives and our spiritual health? When we're depressed, when we're out of breath, when we can't move, and we can barely serve. Ephesians 6, verse 11 through 18. Put on the full armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, 
and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Dealing with our overall health is much more than a personal choice. We are consciously letting Satan affect multiple facets of our lives, and it is preventing us from carrying out our responsibility to the body of Christ, to have a full and joyful life, and to carry out the calling God has for us. If we are too sick to move, how can we have the endurance to finish the race? We need to radically change the way we, as Christians, especially as Christian men, view diet and health in our church and community culture. When the topic of food and diet is brought up in community with one another, this becomes the help we need for one another providing inspiration to others, and holding each other accountable for what we are doing and the health that we have. If anybody has ever been on a sports team, worked for an organization, or sat on an advisory board, we've come to realize that we can't have change as a whole without accountability. That's all I have for this evening. This will conclude uh, part two of our health discussion. And again, I hope this is challenging for you to hear. I hope that something inside you is, is causing you to think on the content that we've been discussing this evening about the Bible verses and scripture we've been reading. I hope that you're asking questions about what you're currently doing, what you should be doing, and how we can better prepare for the siege warfare that Satan is obviously and blatantly waging against us, especially as Christians. Holy Spirit, we, we come to you tonight. We know that we are living in, in broken bodies. We are actively seeking after you. You know what's best for us. Help guide us on that path. If we're on the wrong path, Lord, help us get back to the right path. Like C.S. Lewis said, the man who soonest turns around and goes back to the right road is the more progressive man. Help us to be the progressive man. Help us be the one to realize within our, within our Bible studies, within our church community, within our, our workplace, within our home, that we're obviously doing something that we could do better. Help us find a way to get back on track to where we can be building the fortress that the Holy Spirit can dwell in, something that can be protected, something that's sustainable, something that's immune to attack from the exterior, something that cannot have its sustainability and natural resources stripped away by an invading enemy. Help us to be reminded of the 
the scripture of Syria and Samaria and the, and the darkness and the brokenness that takes hold of people in the moments of fear and chaos because they're caught unaware and their temple becomes under attack. Lord, I lift up any, any family members or friends or acquaintances that we know that may be struggling Struggling with health problems, Father. We lift up our bodies to you. We ask for your renewed spirit. We ask for your renewed health in us. Give us the strength to get back on track and to continue fighting the fight and to take back territory from the enemy, Lord. Our Father who lives in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who have debts against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Your name be praised. The Lord of heaven's armies, the King of glory, Yahweh. Amen. Watchmen, thanks again for tuning into the broadcast. If you didn't hate it, go hit that subscribe button. You can check out our website at Peleus.com. That's Peleus, P-A-L-A-E-U-S.com. We'll see you next time. And remember, come one, come all. Together stand tall. For the Lord rejoices in uprightness.